The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. And now it's time for us to open the scriptures together. Uh, This morning we are opening to Mark chapter 16. Let me invite you to open your Bibles there with me. And I've been encouraging you throughout the weeks here that if you are looking for a really good app, I would encourage you to get a hold of the ESV Bible app. And so if you want to download the ESV Bible app and follow along digitally, that would be fine as well. But if you've got your Bible handy, what a great thing to open the scriptures with us, and we are opening to Mark chapter 16 this morning, Mark 16, and Mark's account of the resurrection. Now, you might think it's a little bit of a strange thing to see the title of this message, A Less Than Spectacular Easter. That is not a reference to our celebration of Easter in the year 2020. That is not what I'm suggesting, uh, but it is instead a reflection on the first Easter morning that we're reading about here in the scriptures and how it probably looked much different than our expectations, much different than maybe what we have in our mind's eye when we imagined that first Lord's Day morning when the sun rose on a garden tomb that was empty. Now, we're in Mark's gospel. Interestingly, that Mark of the four gospel accounts, Mark gives us the least amount of detail about the resurrection morning. Matthew gives a little bit more than Mark, and Luke and John give the most resurrection narrative information, but Mark is interesting because Mark has an ending that we might see, again, as a little bit less than spectacular. If you scan ahead into verse 8, verse 8 ends with the disciples and the women being afraid. Now, just to set this issue aside quickly. You might notice some brackets in your text that indicate that verses 9 through 20 are likely not part of the oldest manuscripts that we have, but they're put in brackets because for many, many years Christians have uh, understood these texts to be a part of the Bible, but it's very likely the case that the earliest record of Mark's gospel ends at verse 8. And I don't want to distract you this morning with those issues, but I do want you to note that we're going to be reading just through verse 8 this morning because, again, it ends in somewhat of a less than spectacular fashion with fear and trembling. But I want us to see together this morning that in what appears to be in a earthly sense, in a human sense, by what our eyes can see, these things seem a bit less than spectacular, but when we look with the eyes of faith and behold the working power of Almighty God, we see the incredible, spectacular nature of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we want to focus upon His power rather than the disciples' wavering faith, which is often like ours, wavering and struggling. So we want to focus on Christ's glory this morning. But first, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word. I hope you've got your Bible available as we'll read it together. But first, let's ask God's blessing upon his word. Oh Lord God, we come to you on this Easter morning with our hearts full of joy to proclaim the glories of the resurrected Christ. And now, Lord, we turn in your word to see that record, that historical accounting of this reality, that Christ has died Christ has risen. Christ will surely come again. And so, Father, by your Holy Spirit and through the Scriptures, lead us 
Lead us with the women to that same garden tomb that we may behold with the eyes of faith the glories of an empty tomb and the wonders of a resurrected Savior who seals all of our hope in his name. And so, Lord, illuminate our minds to understand the scriptures this morning. Open our ears to hear and make our hearts a place of ready and fertile soil to receive the seed of your word that it might spring forth fruit to the glory of your name. And so speak to us now, Lord, in the power of the scriptures, for we are ready to hear. We ask in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. And now, dear friends, hear the word of God from Mark chapter 16, Mark's account of the resurrection in chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. This is the word of God. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever and ever. And so may he write his eternal truth on our hearts this morning. And I invite you to keep your Bible open as we consider Mark's account of the first Easter morning. And as you look at the text, I want you to actually go back a little bit, backtrack a little bit in Mark's accounting where he left off. Look back in chapter 15 and verse 40. Chapter 15, verse 40 speaks about the women who watched the events of Friday unfold. They saw Friday's agony take place from a distance. They saw Jesus die. We're also told as we scan down in chapter 15, verse 47, that the women saw the place where Jesus was laid to rest by Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph took the body of Jesus into his own family tomb and prepared the body of Jesus for burial. But remember, that had to be done quickly because the sun was going down and the Sabbath was about to begin. And the Jewish Sabbath begins on Friday at sundown. And so Joseph had to rush to get the body down and prepare it. And here, at the beginning of chapter 16, the sun is rising. The sun set on Saturday evening, and by Jewish accounting, the Sabbath has ended, but now Sunday has come, and the sun is rising. And these women go out, we find them in verse 1, going out to purchase spices so that they might go and anoint the body of Jesus. 
And it's important to understand that the Jews don't embalm bodies. Uh, embalming was done by Egyptian custom, but embalming was not a part of Jewish custom. Back again in chapter 15, verse 46, when Joseph wrapped Jesus in the linen shroud, Joseph was being faithful and he was doing the job that needed to be done. But again, he only did half of the job. The women are going on Sunday morning to complete the job of preparing the body. They're going to anoint his body. That is, they're going to perfume it and alleviate the stench of decay. It would have been an oil mixture of myrrh and aloe, but I want you to see what an act of love and devotion this is by these women. They know that there is a task to do to honor the dead body of Jesus, and they've resolved to go and do it. They want to honor Jesus. They want to be faithful. And as we see these women going to the tomb in their faithfulness, we should pause and ask the question, where are the disciples? Where are those men? Ever since the arrest on Thursday, they've been hiding in the shadows and observing only at a distance, and here now they're nowhere to be seen. But it's the women here who are faithful. It's the women who are here going to honor Jesus. But at the same time, even though these women are examples of discipleship, of faithfulness and love and pure devotion for Christ, I want us to see that even they struggle as well. They're struggling to believe. They're struggling to receive what Jesus has said because we need to be very clear about this point. At the opening chapter here in uh, chapter 16, these women are not, they are not expecting a resurrection. Resurrection was something that the Jewish faith thought of only in the ultimate sense of a people and a nation. They weren't thinking of individual bodily resurrection. And so resurrection is nowhere in their minds. You see, I think we have a tendency to read our understanding of Easter and Easter morning into these resurrection narratives rather than understand what they would have been thinking at the moment. Again, it is not the case that they're expecting a resurrection. Otherwise, the women, in verse 1, they would have never bought spices to perfume a corpse. If they were expecting a resurrection, they would not have gone to the tomb, in verse 2, expecting to find the body of Jesus. They wouldn't be worried, in verse 3, about how they're going to get into the tomb and get access to the body of Jesus if they believed that a resurrection was going to take place. They were expecting to find the tomb exactly as Joseph had left it on Friday. They were not expecting the resurrection. And so I hope that it's something of an encouragement to us, though, to see that even sincere love and devotion to the Lord can be mixed together with struggling faith, can be mixed together with unbelief, I think we oftentimes have this sense that faith should be perfect and faith should be full and faith should be strong all the time. But it is possible for love for Christ to be mingled together with struggling faith. And we see that here in these women. But it is this picture of Easter morning, especially in Mark's gospel, that I think we can identify as a bit less than spectacular. To realize in honesty what was truly going on in the hearts of these women in this moment. Maybe, maybe you could even try to imagine complexity, fear, sorrow, grief, 
brokenheartedness, love that is aching. You can imagine the complexity. I think we tend to speed past the detail of these women as we speed on to the account of the resurrection, and we shouldn't. We shouldn't just move past these aching hearts, especially this year, because there's complexity in our hearts this year too, isn't there? There's complexity and we're trying to sort through so many things about how we feel about the world and feel about the current state of affairs. Of course, some of us are facing all of this and I'm thankful for this group of people. There are those who are half glass, half full type people and you are overwhelmingly full of positivity all the time. And I'm thankful for you. But then there are others of us and our hearts are are burdened this morning. We are mingled together with the joy of the reality of celebrating the resurrection and the pain and sorrow of our present circumstances. We have grief in our hearts. The Bible calls that lament. It's not wrong. Lament is actually a grace for the soul. These women go to the tomb with lament and love. And it's important that we name that emotion in our hearts today as well because it is into the feeling of grief and into the feeling of sadness and into the feeling of loss and sorrow in the face of death that the resurrection speaks such a powerful word to rekindle strength in the soul. So let's continue to see that here in Mark's gospel. The women are making their way to the tomb and the tomb is within sight now and I want you to notice this detail in verse 4, this little detail that the women looked up The women looked up as though Mark wants us to see that as they were making their way, they might have been looking down, looking down with a little bit of dejection. They were heading to complete the burial custom with their heads hanging low. And when they see the very last thing that they ever expected in verse 4, verse 4 says, And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. And Mark comments, about the size of the stone, to add to the amazement of the entire thing. And what you have to do when you read the gospel accounts together, the the four gospel accounts are like uh, people standing on four corners of of a street intersection where, let's say, an accident happens in the middle of the intersection and each gospel writer is standing on a opposite corner and they're telling the same story from different perspectives. And at this very moment, it can be a little bit helpful to piece together some of the gospel accounts because it is at this very moment that John's gospel tells us that Mary Magdalene immediately turns and runs away. She sees the stone rolled away and she sprints the opposite direction, probably to sound the alarm. She's going to go back to the disciples to find them and tell them someone's tampered with Jesus' body. Something's wrong. That's why they're in such a rush to come in the other gospel accounts. But the other Mary, who is James' mother, And Salome, who is also called Joanna in other gospel accounts, they go into the tomb that's cut out of the rock and look what they behold. In verse 5, they see a young man who speaks to them. And what's their response? Now, some people, when they're afraid, take off running. Like maybe Mary Magdalene in this instance. She's, She's terrified, she's uncertain, she sprints and runs away. But the other Mary and Salome, they seem to 
freeze, perhaps. Now, whether you get scared and you uh, run away as quick as you can or you freeze, we can understand the different reactions here. I'm jumpy. I'm a very jumpy person when I get scared. My hands fly out and I go to defend myself. My wife makes fun of me all the time for it because of that. But these women, they are frozen in fear and terrified. The text actually uses the word in verse 5 that they are alarmed, which is an emphatic Greek term that means astonished and amazed. And there's an amplifier in the original language that means exceedingly alarmed, greatly alarmed. So much so that the first word spoken to them is, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. And who is it? Well, the text doesn't use the word angel. In verse 5, you won't find the term angel, but that is exactly what's happening here. There's a description of an angel. Angels are always present in the Bible at significant moments of redemptive history. If you were to scan back through the memory of the story of the Bible, angels were present in Eden. They were present with the patriarchs as they received the covenant from God. Angels were present at Sinai in the giving of the law. Angels were present at the birth of Jesus to declare his birth. They were there with Jesus in the wilderness when he was was tempted. And they were there just a few days ago when Jesus was praying in the garden of Gethsemane. And it says the angels were ministering to Jesus. And when the angels are present, God is saying, here is a deeply significant moment in redemptive history. And Mark describes the angel in that he was just wearing a white robe, but the other gospel writers are a bit more descriptive. Matthew says that his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow, while Luke says that his garments were shining. This is obviously an angelic, supernatural being. And so we have to get this traditional imagery that I think we have of fat baby little cherubs with wings playing harps. We have to do away with that type of imagery because every instance in Scripture where angels are mentioned, there is a need to say, do not be afraid because the sight of these holy, majestic, angelic creatures strikes fear into the heart of mere mortals, these holy, mysterious, supernatural beings. So we see the angel saying, verse 6, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. People of God, hear that word to your heart today. Do not be afraid. The angel calls them into the tomb, says, you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And that's exactly right, isn't it? That's exactly who they were looking for. They were looking for the man that they had come to know and follow and love and devote themselves to. They were looking to Jesus of Nazareth, the man who died on Friday and was buried in this tomb, and they came to anoint his earthly body. They were not looking for the Son of God. They were not looking for a resurrected king. They were looking for a dead body. And the angel knows that, which is why he speaks these beautiful words which have become for us in the Christian faith the absolute center and summary of what we believe. Do you see it in verse 8? Let the joy of those words fall on your heart again. And they went out. We see the angel says, sorry, it's in verse 6. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen 
he is not here. Don't you love how plainly it's stated? The angel is describing this incredible supernatural act of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he simply says, he's not here. He's not here. He is risen. He's alive. And we, in the Christian tradition, adopt this, and you saw it earlier in your bulletin. We call it the Paschal Greeting especially used in liturgical traditions on Easter Sunday, to receive again the affirmation of the angel. He is not here. He is risen. And the people of God respond in faith. He is risen indeed. We have the luxury of being removed from this time and place that these women didn't have. These women didn't respond, he is risen indeed. But their response is to tremble and to be overtaken by astonishment. The angel invites them further in. See the place where they laid him, verse 6. The angel is saying, come and see for yourself. Isn't it interesting to note that the stone was not rolled away for the sake of Jesus. Jesus didn't need the stone to be rolled away to emerge from the tomb. The stone is rolled away for the sake of the women for the sake of the disciples, for the sake of us, so that we might see and believe. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And this is a historical reality that we believe, the bodily, physical, historical resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we could go on for ages contemplating the glory of what this means, the resurrection of Christ. And the apostles lead us throughout the rest of the New Testament to celebrate these realities of the resurrection of Christ, especially the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. You might want to read that later on today. But we want to pause just here and behold the glories of Christ, to behold the glories of the resurrected Christ in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was proved that a man, that there was a man who could not be contained by death, that there was one who could not be ruled by Satan or by the power of corruption, that there is one who is stronger than the grave and sin and death and hell. The gates of the realm of death closed up over Jesus on Friday, and Jesus Christ has thrown open those same gates by his own command on Sunday morning because he is risen And with him all authority in heaven and on earth. And as we said, this truth is an infinite ocean of beauty and glory that you and I as Christian believers will contemplate for all eternity. We will peer into the mysteries of this glorious reality and never find an end or a bottom to the beauty of it. But for now, just for now on this Easter morning, I want us to remember two things two things and seal them to our hearts. The first thing is, I want us to hear the announcement of the gospel in the angel's direction to the women. The angel says in verse 7, Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. The angels tell the women to go and tell the disciples to share the news. The women are instructed to take the news to those men who had abandoned Jesus in the garden, who couldn't stay awake on Thursday night, who fled during his trial, and who weren't there to give their Lord an honorable burial. 
but do you see the emphatic nature of what the disciples are addressed as in, in verse 7? Go and tell his disciples and Peter. Why do you think that matters? I want us to see that Jesus, Jesus Christ is not resurrected in vengeance. He is not resurrected to be opposed to those that have forsaken him because he has died because we have forsaken him. We also, like the disciples, have denied Jesus, have forsaken him, have not stood for him. We have all forsaken Christ in our sins. And despite the greatness of our sins, there shines the beautiful rays of his mercy that call us his own, even though we have done unspeakable things. Like Peter. The emphatic addition of Peter's name. Peter could have been included in the list of the disciples. Everybody knew Peter was a disciple, but tell the disciples, and especially Peter. Why? Because the last time we saw Peter, it was in chapter 14, verse 72, when Peter is overcome with weeping because he had denied Christ three times. And the good news of the resurrection is especially spoken to Peter. He's singled out here in this announcement. And along with Peter, anybody, anywhere, who thinks that they have sinned themselves out of God's grace, anybody who thinks that there is more sin in them than Jesus' mercy could possibly handle. But the angel says, go and tell the disciples and make sure Peter knows it as well, that the Lord Jesus will come to see them, that he will be with them as he promised. Dear friends, see that Jesus Christ is the consummate Savior in all of his kindness, even to those who have made an absolute mess. That's who Jesus is. And then secondly, see not only the announcement of the gospel here as the angels speak the word to these women, but then secondly, in general, I want us to turn our eyes upon Jesus as well. The angel told the women that Jesus was going ahead of them and that they will see him. And I want you and I to see him as well this morning. I want you and I to see him in all of his glory the glory of Jesus Christ this morning. Jesus Christ of whom it says in Revelation 1, Jesus says, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1 that Christ is the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, first place among all things. And we are told in Ephesians chapter 1 that by trusting in Christ, by believing in his death and resurrection, that we experience the immeasurable greatness of his power that is at work in us. The same power that raised Christ from the grave dwells within us through faith in him. And this gives us what 1 Peter chapter 1, the same Peter who denied Christ, who received this announcement, is the same man who said, that by the resurrection of Christ, we have a living hope. That because Jesus is alive, we too shall live. And all of this is through this unconquerable, immovable, immortal hope because Jesus is alive. And dear friends, that hope does not rest upon you. It's outside of you, which is why you can rest upon it.
Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Savior of sinners. He's come to bring eternal life and salvation and usher in his kingdom through his death, burial, and resurrection. And by the power of God, sin has been defeated and Christ has been raised. And by his power, we too shall live through faith in him. And so, dear friends, I simply call upon you on this Easter morning to believe upon the name of Jesus, to trust in his name, And if you have never entrusted your soul to Christ, that you would turn from your sins, that you would repent and believe that everything that Jesus has done is enough for you to be forgiven of all of your sins. And embrace the Savior who welcomes you with his love. And if you also then count yourself among the redeemed this morning, if Christ is risen indeed is upon your lips, upon your heart, and the hope of the gospel is on your soul. May the truth of the resurrection stir your heart again to freshly proclaim the glory that Jesus Christ is Lord and he fills us with everlasting hope. Dear friends, rest in this truth today and may we join the angelic chorus to add our hallelujahs and say amen. Christ is risen indeed. May he bless you today. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Father, we rejoice in the announcement of the good news. Lord, how deeply we need good news today. If the grave has been defeated, and the resurrected Christ has emerged from the tomb, and he is now ascended to your right hand, there to reign over all things in power and glory. And we know, Lord, that we live between the ascension and the return of Christ. We live between in this present age where we await the appearance of our blessed hope. And so, Father, I pray that you would bolster every heart today with peace and hope and joy that only Christ can bring. And may the name of Jesus and his resurrected glory be upon our lips today as we declare Christ is risen indeed, for we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.